Hello, I'm Ashwini. As you know, I have with me Polomi, and today we have with us a very special guest. Her name is Megha. She's doing her PhD in Gender Studies at uh, University of London. Uh, hi, Megha. <laughs> hi, Polomi. Hi, Ashwini. Hi, Polomi. Nice hi, to be uh, on your show. It's <laughs> very nice to have you too. Uh, I'm glad we could find a time to make this work. Um, yes, I'm so glad I could finally make it to your show. <laughs> yeah, yes, we're really proud of getting you on board. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I've been terrible with dates in the past two months. So yeah, I'm really glad to be on your show. Honestly, <laughs> same, same. So just to give a little background on what Megha does, Megha, do you want to give us a background? Okay, uh, I'll try. So. Uh, basically, I'm a maths graduate. I did my bachelor's in maths from Northeastern Hill University way back in 2011. And um, so, while I was in college, I was a, so I was the women's representative for my college for the state. And um, we used to attend a lot of um, initiatives in and around college, which involved like uh, self-help groups of women. And that's how I got interested in this whole idea of social work. I graduated with uh, in bachelor's in commerce and uh, went on to do a master's in commerce but uh, dropped out after like six months. I decided that maths is not my cup of tea anymore <laughs> and uh, I started volunteering for organizations in northeast of India. Uh, I did work with some community organizations that worked on issues of disaster relief, rehabilitation and uh, alternative livelihood for women. Uh, specifically indigenous communities in Assam and uh, thereon after that I landed with my first project it was a collaborative project with Hewen Women uh, this was a project on gender responsive budgeting this was with a feminist organization called Northeast Network I worked with them from December 2012 to um, February 2014 and then I decided if this is something I really enjoy doing uh, might as well do a professional course uh, which kind of really helps me streamline my perspectives and you know my worldview about social work and gender and all of that mm -hmm. I went on to do a master's in social work from Tata Institute of Social Sciences uh, specializing in community organization development practice from 2014 to 2016 and uh, yeah I mean during my time at this I was selected for a fellowship uh, with Lund University Sweden it was a linear summer fellowship I went to Lund and I took some courses on gender again and that kind of really broadened my perspectives around issues of LGBTQI gender violence sexual violence and also during my time with the UN Women project uh, we did a lot of work around domestic violence cases in and around in like all the 27 districts of Assam and a lot of workshops we attended uh, I learned about the laws that concerns like gender and development, gender and violence in India and uh, I did my master's thesis on LGBTQI rights, understanding the lived experiences of the gay and lesbian community in Assam. And uh, yeah, after my, I did my master's in social work, I uh, finished it. And in 2016, I joined a child protection NGO for about five months. And um, I worked on issues of child labor, child sex trafficking, uh, child marriage. And this was like with really uh, low income disadvantaged communities, mostly like slums. Uh, yeah, I mean, minority communities living in slums. Uh, 
in September 2016, I mean, things didn't work out with the Ranger. There was mismatch of skill and expectation. I could not proceed with uh, the organization. I went on to join a government of Sikkim project. Uh, this was in the year 2016. So yeah, I mean, I worked with the government of Sikkim. This was an innovative project. I was a program manager. I led the project as the program manager. This was with 100 schools in the state. Uh, this was on drug abuse and illicit trafficking, which involved, uh, I mean, I we shaped the whole program in six pillars of like community outreach programs, teacher training, volunteer training, then you know, uh, parental counseling, all of that uh, six pillars of the project. This was again done in, in um, with support of uh, Public Health Foundation of India and UNODC. So it further kind of expanded my knowledge around uh, you know child sexual abuse and drug abuse and uh, yeah I mean a lot of issues around trafficking. And all of these are interlinked issues and uh, it can really help me understand like things from a very ground perspective, ground realities. And uh, yeah, after I completed the project in around August 2017 and then I shifted to uh, Delhi. So during my time uh, with the Sikkim government, I was uh, chosen as a global youth advocate for global partnership for education. This was a this is a multi-country initiative funded by Global Affairs Canada and World Bank, uh, where 89 con countries coming together for transformative financing for education. And it involved a lot of youth engagement. So the GP basically, so it's Global Partnership for Education. And GP basically, uh, they worked on uh, youth engagement within GP in terms of how you can have like more young people engaging with the issue of education in countries. So. I was one of the seven global youth advocates for GPE and uh, we worked on the youth engagement strategy for GPE, we developed it. This was a two-year stint and uh, 2018 January I completed my uh, project with GPE. And uh, finally I, yeah, I mean, uh, I shifted to Delhi in 2017 September and I started working for Oxfam, uh, Oxfam India. I was the program coordinator. I was also managing the national campaign, uh, gender campaign for Oxfam India, which was enough. This was around creating spaces for women and girls to take action on violence against women and girls and involve a lot of you know youth engagement, coming up with creative, innovative communication materials and stakeholder engagement, uh, working with alliances, networks, and you know, just building momentum for the movement, uh, the feminist movement in India. Yeah, and uh, while at Oxfam, I was also uh, sponsored to do a course with uh, UN Women and KIT Royal Tropical Institute. This was a course on professional course on gender. This was done with uh, KIT Royal Tropical Institute Netherlands. Um, yeah, I mean, I was there. I did the course, completed it, um, and then yeah, Felix happened. So I'm a Felix scholar. I got the Felix Research Fellowship last year and uh, I shifted to the UK and started my PhD. Uh, my PhD is mostly it's on border and borderlands in South Asia. I'm looking at uh, how bordering processes are constructed and you know how people live borders. And uh, simultaneously, currently I'm also working with Action in UK as a policy specialist in the International Development Program policy team. So that's as brief as I can be. <laughs> Sorry if it was like stretched. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. That is really impressive. <laughs> oh, just not to forget more than so how I identify myself is that 
Uh, also, I've done a lot of grassroots activism. I mean, if you just Google my name, you'd find like my activist activism stories coming up. So I did a lot of cases. I did track a lot of sexual violence cases when I was in Assam, and I helped like organizations file cases in Human Rights Commission of Assam. And I'm also a feminist blogger, so I have my own personal blog, Etched by Clouds, and I write a lot of um, my own personal experiences of growing up in Assam and facing a lot of abuse and violence growing up. because uh, though assam is usually seen as a very egalitarian society by the mainland india but it is as heteropatriarchal as it can be and growing up uh, amidst like really rigid structures i mostly write about my own experiences of growing up amidst violence so yeah so how i identify myself is as i am like a 40% pretentious phd scholar Thirty percent INGO, INGO person, <laughs> and another thirty uh, percent like blogger and hobby cook, and yeah, whatever is left. <laughs> no, that's that's impressive. I'm going to clap for your achievement. Oh, <laughs> no, even though it sounds like a lot, I'm sure there was a lot of struggle into the whole you know yeah. the list of things you have done. I would mm-hmm. say you are you. You should be super proud of it, and instead be hundred percent proud of yourself. Instead of saying forty percent pretentious, there's no pretentiousness I, at all. I I do feel fit. I'm a pretentious PhD scholar because most times I'm like, okay, what am I doing with my PhD? I'm just kind of eating crisps and wine, and like not writing anything on my PhD. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, documentation is not everything. No, you've done a lot of yeah. actual work, which is very important. And I, I don't know if you get to hear this enough. Maybe you do, but really, thank you for your work. It is very important. So thank you. Uh, so most of my research questions are more for my field. The idea that emerged to kind of. what motivated me to do my phd was my field work so i've been in the field for a long long time now i've been like 8 years of working on issues of gender and violence and uh when i decided to apply for a phd i i already had my proposal in mind and i started working on it since 2015 and uh, yeah my research questions emerged more from my practice so i i said it was a natural progression of being from academic from professional activism to like moving into academics because some of the questions which i struggled in the field i know i will not be able to answer it if i don't get into a professional program of research so that's right. why i thought that phd is a natural progression into my activism i don't even know where to start can i just ask you for like two three more episodes already <laughs> yeah actually i feel like even if you start talking about what you whatever you have experienced in assam or in your cases with the this child ngo as well i think we might need a few more episodes <laughs> okay so i'm going to i'm i'll attempt to do a feminist storytelling of my experiences and please feel free to stop me whenever Amazing. you have questions yeah, yeah? just yeah. just go ahead just at least tell us what made you feel more connected to the whole field because i know yeah. that i know a lot of people who join ngos for a few months or a year yeah. and say that you know it's a lot to take in it's very yeah. mentally draining even though they yeah. help a lot of people at the end of the day they are like okay i want to be in a job but you know how to keep it is mainly exhausting true yeah and i do keep but... saying that right sorry yeah. just to keep saying that you know i want to pursue it as a career to help mm-hmm. others how how, how yeah. do you decide that Okay I think this is a very uh, wrong misconception that uh, you know you join an NGO to help others 
for me this has been more a personal journey why i would say because uh, i there is a context to like my experiences and my uh, world views around gender to be very honest i grew up in assam and uh, yeah my parents are working class so they sent us to like private schools yeah i mean i've grown up amidst like uh, hand me downs like you know my sister's clothes is to be hand me downs for me so you know the struggles of being born in a working class family and then struggling to kind of pay school fees so my parents had a hard time because my mom she's a teacher and my dad he lost his job in 2003 so it was very difficult and for the entire family so we have four siblings yeah and in the school i was sent it was uh, one of the yeah most premier schools in the whole uh, city guwahati but uh, my experience in the school has been my, actually i have really scarred memories of my school years i was always bullied and body shamed and color shamed um i have a dusky skin so i know my two of my bullies uh, who started bullying me for my color right from when i was in class nursery it bred so much of insecurity and inferiority complex in my psyche that uh, and also i was body shamed because i was thin i was i was on the thinner side of the scale yeah i mean i was body shamed and color shamed growing up yeah and then i was also uh, i'm also a child sexual abuse survivor my uh, mom's uncle uh, sexually molested me when i was in class 7 he grabbed me and all of those scarred memories of like uh, facing the violence growing up in the family and also during that time we did not have child sexual abuse laws and also the person who molested me he was a very famous art- architect from assam and then his family pleaded my family that don't Which don't complain it to police. We're gonna lose our reputation and all of that. And all of this suppression kind of was always there growing up. I mean, it was somewhere at the back of my mind. I realized that because of who I am, because of my gender, because I'm born in a particular way, uh, my rights are being suppressed. And I only started to realize more when I. found this space, NGO space to work in and uh, i was also sexually molested by my own cousin yeah i mean now when i look back at all of everything about all of this and in, in queen so if you just pull up the queen megha kashyap you'll find all my blogs there yeah i was body shamed color shamed in school facing all of these violence and also not to mention like usual sexual harassment uh, while you travel on the bus or you know being cat called i was groped at in buses and you know all of these public spaces i remember once i went to see a drama uh, with my uncle and uh, my aunt and there was someone sitting next to me he grabbed my breast and uh, i was i was stunned i could not speak anything because it was pitch black dark in the theater and i did not know how to react and i came out crying so when i was uh, yeah this so all my bullies in school they always used to bully me for my skin color and it so happened that i ended up in i mean to validate my existence i ended up in really abusive relationships i sought validation external validation from like men and uh, i ended up in a very abusive relationship where i was almost killed i ended up in icu for 3 days i one of my ex boyfriend tried to kill me and um, sexually assaulted as well and uh, this constant feeling that i am less i am not enough for myself uh, this was being kind of 
come always being reiterated through like actions and words and this was not just my ex but also a lot of people in and around uh, me and my family one particular uh, incident which is etched in my memory is this um, there is this uncle who, who is uh, my mom's uh, uncle he, what he used to do so my both my sisters are fair in complexion than me and i remember whenever there was an event or in festivals and we used to go and he always used to be like oh uh, so the servant of mehdi family has come and he used to say this to me like out in front of everyone just because of my skin complexion and he used to be like did you do the dishes before you came here and all of these things were like so etched in my memory growing up that um, i could not break those shackles and uh, yeah i mean i was trained in a particular way because you know this is a very indian upbringing that you know when elders speak you don't talk back i'm sure both of you must have also experienced that definitely yeah yeah i mean when elders talk you don't talk back so we were always kind of taught that you know just ignore uh, you know you, your academics will speak for yourself do be an academic achiever and all of that but the irony is i've always been an academic achiever like i did brilliant for my class 10 did brilliant for my class 12 i got a rank in my degree i i was the I've got a rank in my masters but all of these had nothing to do with my academics it was always like even though no matter how much you are academically brilliant but because of my complexion or because of um, my body I was being ridiculed so yeah and then uh, I would of course not shy to say this at one point of time I was really suicidal and I almost tried to commit suicide yeah it's been very it's been a hard journey to be very honest I remember there is this incident where my one of my ex tried to kill me I he sexually assaulted me and he slapped me six times there was this incident I wrote about it in my blog you guys can pull up the blog and read it and when I was in the hospital my life flashed in front of me and then I realized this is not who I am I mean I cannot die without an identity and uh, I think that moment I really hold very that moment of like awakening I really hold it very close to my heart there was the moment I realized that okay I had enough bullshit in my life so far I need to reinvent myself and it did take a lot of time I did go through clinical depression for 6 months i was on antidepressants and but then i realized that um i just can't let things pull me down just because of somebody other somebody else's opinion about me and actions yeah and then i went on to do my bachelor's in math i'm actually very grateful that i left assam it was a conscious decision to leave assam and just get out of the society and uh, i went on to do my degree in math and uh, yeah when i was uh, when i went to like all of these communities to work with them and i really I said there are a lot of similarities in terms of lived experiences of violence it might not be in the same scale but then more or less like there were parallels that i could really you know understand like women facing violence within private spaces within public spaces yeah i mean that's how i kind of really got interested in uh, pursuing a professional career in social work so a lot of my uh, my what i would say to the i mean there are a lot of young people who wants to join ngo you don't see ngo work as helping others for me has been more about helping myself and discovering my own identity so i'm very passionate about working on issues of gender because um, this is something which my and most of my i mean inspirations of working in the ngo sector is because of my personal experiences the professional things definitely adds on to it and you know it kind of helps me get a more you know streamlined perspective around the issue but it has been more a personal journey than a professional journey well um I'm really sorry for all that happened to you. It it 
just sounds like it's out of a film you know you i mean it's it's really actually interesting uh, funnily the thing is a lot of us face like similar incidents but no, we definitely. don't get to talk about it yeah it's just because i, I know i mean uh, when i wrote this blog about my uncle sexually molesting me it, there was a lot of backlash i mean uh, the family called up my parents and they kind of uh, almost um, yeah i mean scolded my mom for allowing me to write it and my mom is like it's she doesn't need anybody to allow her to write I mean, good thing is that my parents have stood by me but i also understand that somewhere both my parents are victims of the system themselves so yeah it's been quite a rough journey <laughs> i would say i'm glad if you were even thinking about putting it out there cuz it's tough it's really tough to have everyone around you know all of this too because yeah. with with molestation with sexual abuse comes shame and the yeah. girl is usually shamed more than the yeah there's a lot of stigma i mean uh, not yeah. just my own own uh, journey of like experiencing it but i have personally dealt with a lot of domestic violence and sexual violence cases uh when i was working with these ngos so one of the cases i can share where this girl she is like 12 years old she was stabbed by her jilted lover uh, in broad daylight and um, she had like 110 stitches on her body yeah i mean the guy is free and uh, yeah there was another case which i wrote about you can pull up youth ki awaaz i wrote about a case where this girl she was burnt alive by her in-laws because her father could not afford to give her double door refrigerators dowry so Um, yeah i mean it's been i mean there's a lot of trauma that i taken from like doing all of these cases tracking all of these cases but i realized that we need to just care for each other and be there for each other because at least if I, i i'm empowered i'm privileged i know that i have access to opportunities resources and if somebody like me does not help people i mean other women or other uh, individuals who are in need who else will so i make sure that if there is a crisis there is a case of domestic violence or sexual violence and if i come to know about it i try my best to like help with whatever i can it's very brave of you to you know come out and speak about it it's not easy yeah i i have uh, for a brief stint worked as uh, the student representative of uh, sexual harassment in my undergrad college and so I have dealt with a few cases and in my personal life too but I'm definitely not um I'm not there yet where I can go out and speak about it myself yeah. you know so it's it's really brave of you and also the thing you mentioned about the the intellectual you know being smart or being an academic achiever uh yeah. does not make these insecurities go away that really hits hard <laughs> because it's so true it's like yeah. you have you have a, you're hungry and someone offers you water it's not going to fill your stomach you know yeah but we are brought up in a particular way especially girls in india i mean we are supposed to be very submissive you don't talk back to your elders and if it's a elderly man you definitely don't talk back so this is being imbibed in our psyche when we grow up that because you were a girl you were expected to behave in a particular way so a lot of my relatives now think that i am very unideal a wayward woman i have lost all sense of indian culture because i talk openly about sex and i talk about all of these i call out people radically but i think yeah i mean this is part of also my own activism i mean i see it that way because in my feminist principles and in my feminist universe 
if people like me who are privileged i mean i am very privileged in terms of being able to come to the uk and do a phd and work with all of these global organizations so if people like me don't speak up uh, you know it's like what examples i'm setting for others so when the i'm like the moment so i've written this blog about my uncle sexually molesting me this was a blog on quint it just went viral i received a lot of messages lot of calls from like a lot of women all over the world i know somebody wrote to me from geneva she's in honduran she wrote to me saying that after radio blog i found courage i went back to honduras i spoke to my sister and then we both called out our uncle who has who sexually molested us as kids so thank you so much for writing such a brave piece of blog so all of these gives me courage to kind of really listen to how my writing on my work is inspiring others or helping others to cope up or giving them a space to kind of really you know vent or you know find peace so yeah 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 it's very hard to deal with these things and it's uh, it is sad that it is so common. So I wanted to ask you a question since you worked a lot with uh, sexual violence and domestic abuse issues. Firstly to start with a lot of women don't want to talk about it like we just spoke about it. Um so suppose you know that there is a case of domestic violence that is happening you know that it is not good for the for the lady but she doesn't want to leave the situation because you know she loves her husband or whatever yeah so to what degree is it fine to intervene okay actually it just happened like last week so it's very interesting that you asked this question so i received a call from one of my friend who lives in gurgaon apparently her neighbor who works in the police was beating up his wife she was being dragged from her home and then she was choked with a dupatta and then my friend she filmed the short part of it and she just immediately sent me a message saying that this has happened what should i do what i did was that i sent her all the links of like uh, helplines uh, 1091 for women's helpline and police commissioners email and you know minister for women and child development in haryana i just told her make as many calls as you can inform everyone because this is happening public view if it was happening within indoors and you'd not know then it's a different thing you could still call the police then but if this is happening public view he's done this anybody can call up so just call the police up inform them this what happened so i, I spoke to the ncw uh, sorry what was it what ncw national commission for women uh, there is a state commission for women i gave her a numbers and i told her to speak to her and then they sent the police uh, to the house but the women kind of said that nothing has happened mm-hmm. and most yeah. of the times we need to most of the times we need to understand why would the women say something like that because she's scared this help that they see in terms of somebody providing help is external she still has to live with her husband right because she is not financially independent or maybe she cannot make choices and you need to understand there is there is a particular term to it which is called learn helplessness where you learn to live with your helplessness which is happens in a lot of toxic relationship you choose to stay in a toxic relationship because you think that you are not good enough for anything else so a lot of women imbibe learn helplessness and this has a trajectory of being born and brought up in patriarchal societies so i i usually tell people that be there as much as you can but if the women feel that you're interfering if she says that you know this is going to harm her then you should stop so 
we sent a mail to the police and there is currently an inquiry happening against this policeman also because the guy when he dragged the women he was dressed in his uniform so in according to laws you cannot do that so mm. and then my friend she filmed the whole episode so there's a kind of inquiry going on against the policeman and let's see where it goes but the problem is we do have our laws are brilliant to be really honest we have some of the most progressive laws on gender it's always the implementation like we have this law called protection of women from domestic violence act this was passed in 2006 mm-hmm. brilliant act it provides the entire framework systematic way of intervening and helping a women in distress making sure that even if it's a single woman someone who's living with uh, you know uh, a widowed woman everyone gets help in it but the problem is it comes when it comes to implementation there's a massive loophole like if you look at the funding provided for like pwdva it's meager and uh, most of the times our um, in our states and our whole implementation mechanism systems they don't report expenditures so yeah, i think cbga or jagori did a uh, audit of like the pwdvh and they found how you know in one district there is one protection officer so under this act every district needs to have one protection officer and so protection officer is there but the protection officer also serves as like a child protection officer or as a juvenile justice officer so he or she is overloaded with a lot of duties without any actual powers and also you know we talk about one district which is like in india in like geographically it's vast right so let's say district in up it can be like 1000 kilometers apart and somebody yeah. the protection officer lives in one part and there is a distress call from the other end of the district it will take yeah. one day to reach a district so this whole idea of like thinking through how it's going to happen nobody has really kind of the lawmakers hasn't really sat down and thought of like how we can really you know do it in a better way so this is the problem laws are brilliant but it's just the implementation and conviction rates like in 2017 Out in 2016, uh, there is this Act for Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act (POCSO). In Assam alone, in one district, there were 1,500 cases pending, and overall nationally, the conviction rate was as low as 3%. And these are cases like of extreme sexual abuse of children. So it's yeah, it's very easy to kind of come up with laws and amend laws. We've seen how the nation woke up to like the Nirbhaya incident. There was a massive advocacy influencing on changing the criminal laws. It did really change, but implementation-wise, I think we are yeah, we are way behind, and we need to step up. I see. Okay, so um, another question, maybe a little sidetracked, was how. Of course, you personally, and in general, if you've seen people, how do you deal with, uh, like, when someone breaks your trust in such a way in extreme cases of uh, sexual abuse or even emotional abuse? You know, how do you um, do? You ever learn to trust people again, or <laughs> it's a very hard question, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it depends, actually. It depends person to person. I mean. I st- of course I still do trust people I mean I think that's a very basic human nature of trust if you cannot trust people I feel you end up with a lot of mental health issues and uh, yeah I mean I would personally say that uh, we just have to live with the reality that things change and relationships change 
and one one thing which i hold really very close to my heart is that i don't let anything affect my inner harmony so this is like a very close uh, i mean it should be on my t-shirt at one point <laughs> when i say uh, where i say that i am the most um, unideal wayward and immoral woman but i'm in my feminist universe i'm alive and kicking and uh, this is something which i hold very close to my heart so Yeah I mean I would not say that after like um, being facing all of these things I don't face it yet even now I mean uh, in being in Europe I have faced racism and the other day someone cat called me outside Tesco so it's just you just need to you need to have your own, eventually you learn how to deal with such things and cope up uh sometimes it's hard of course it's not it's not easy to kind of cope up with incidences of sexual harassment or sexual assault but uh yeah i mean it's very it's very individual very subjective and trust is something which kind of yeah sometimes people break your trust but what can you control others actions you can't right all you can do is you can control your actions so i am there for people i definitely help out and i am always there like whoever needs my help but uh, i also know my own boundaries of like where i should stop self care something which i've really practiced i make sure that whatever someone else is doing i would not let it affect my harmony yeah others opinion is not my reality i know where i have come from what struggles i am i have others will not be able to you know yeah be my representative of my struggles so i don't let anybody affect my harmony that's uh, very enlightening to say the least no it's yeah it's uh, very difficult actually and i think it's a more of an ongoing process right it doesn't stop at any point like yeah things are always happening so yeah oh oh i am interested in something so i'm looking at your linkedin profile which is fabulous by the way um, thank you i have seen you doing gender training with journalists for google data initiative so what exactly do you do there so i do a lot of uh, gender trainings with young people like um like just basic Now I won't say for lack of better term I'm saying awareness but it's a very wrong word to use uh just kind of opening up world views around what gender is what violence is and how do you report to media I uh, I was teaching in Jamia Millia Islamia in 2018 a course on gender and uh, media uh, with master students and uh, I do a lot of gender trainings with young people so Uh this was I think 2019 or 2018 July where I was um training uh, young journalists as part of the Google Data Initiative. I was doing a gender training for uh young journalists and stringers who wrote like how do you represent gender issues in media what is the appropriate way to kind of talk about somebody who's um, you know how to report a rape case or how to report a sexual violence case and most times we know how media reports it and uh, it's very important for media to kind of uh write in a particular way because they are the people who shape public opinion 
So in terms of how do you appropriately report gender issues is something I am very keen and I kind of do trainings. I also do a lot of trainings with like young people working on other issues. I did a training with uh, youth from Bangladesh, uh, Nepal, Myanmar and India. This was held in Bangladesh last year. So I did a training on like they were working on something on rivers and transboundary rivers of South Asia. They were doing community mapping so I kind of worked with them to say how within your community resource mapping how do you highlight gender issues how do you kind of how do you kind of pin it down that you know women are most affected when it comes to like river management or working within communities on livelihood so all of these are part of my yeah more activism and professional work yeah that's really important to teach people how to approach and face things especially when these things happen right yeah so i know that you recently worked uh, in setting up a, a sewing school for what was it 13 uh, girls sewing center yeah <laughs> yeah uh, because they were uh, they would have been married off otherwise yeah. if i yeah. remember correctly so can you tell us about that what were the challenges you faced with that Okay so this is an initiative by an NGO called Care U365 it's a NGO based in Assam this is uh this community is based in Kamrup district uh, which is one of the flood affected districts as you know in Assam we have annual floods every year there is a yeah, massive flood which kind of devastates the whole uh, state so their families lost farmlands because when disasters happen it's always the girls who are at the front forefront of being vulnerable most vulnerable either they married off or they are sold or they are trafficked for money so these girls were they were skewed by the ngo who were supposed to I mean they were marriages were fixed but they were rescued by the ngo and i was in conversation with the founder of the ngo asking what are the projects that they are doing and then he, the person the his name is grigu he shared that how they have this community of girls uh, they are school dropouts they can't go to school because the school was washed away in the floods so they are at home and their parents are arranging for their marriage and they have been kind of trying to have a conversation dialogue with the parents saying that you know we don't get them married off and we will train them and all of that but then so they how, how old were they they uh, so there are 10 girls uh, some of them are 12 they are following the age bracket of 12 to 18 12 to 18 19 not 20 So yeah and uh, then I said okay uh, what is it that they want to do and what are the existing skills so we did a small skill map study and then we learned that they already are good with tailoring i mean they have the basic tailoring skills so and they are keen to kind of uh, pursue it so we did a crowdfunding and a lot of my friends and everyone they uh, shared resources and then we did a crowdfunding initiative to start up the center and i'm personally supporting as well so we set up a tailoring center it's up and running now and uh, we have a trainer who comes in to teach the girls every week for about 5 hours and we're trying to see how we can do market linkages of the products that they're producing so i'm hoping when i go to india in jan i get to meet them sit with them and know what how else i can help them or how else we can kind of support their center yeah yes please do share the link with us so we can add it so if any of the campaign over <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> even if we could like donate yeah sure 
next time sure, if, I mean, if we need next time I'll definitely I'll put it up again and share with you guys sure yes thank you thank you so much mm-hmm. yeah that is uh, yeah I can't even imagine being in that sort of a situation it's crazy especially yeah. 12 year olds that's just it's really crazy I mean it's the reality it's crazy for us because we're privileged right yeah definitely yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I have seen, you know, um, in my personal experience while I was growing up, and I think I've spoken about this in another episode. I've seen uh, cases of, um, you know, the ladies who used to come to clean our house. Uh, some of them, they would be abused by their husband. They would just stick in yeah. their patient because a, they are brought up with the belief that. uh you know our our uh, our husband is like god you're not yeah. to leave him no matter what he does to you and yeah. is you know they want to support their children and their family etc and there was mm. there was also this time in fact it was maybe last year uh there was uh, a lady she came and begged us to you know have uh, a girl work for us and mm. was under age so obviously we didn't want to do that and so my mother tried to tell her that we will support you uh, and you know mm. put you in school how about mm. complete your education but the mm. values that the girl was given she was yeah. you know she was very fixed on getting married instead of mm. getting education or doing anything else and now mm. she has i don't know maybe she's already pregnant with her second child or something mm mm yeah So yeah I mean in terms of like disasters happening and in general like when there is a crisis it's always women and girls who are the most vulnerable and at risk of like facing vulnerabilities specifically I would say like in low income families it's always the women or the girls who takes a beating in terms of being married away or I have personally dealt with cases where girls are sold because families cannot afford uh, to send them to school and they are sold off as brides because that helps them to earn some money so yeah it's 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 a lit reality my lord yeah so it's it's uh, it's quite tough uh, yeah not a very happy thing to talk on a sunday <laughs> No, but it's an important thing that you know, like you said, if we don't talk about it, then uh, yeah, who will? Yeah. So you you also spoke about uh, having worked with drug abuse problems. Yeah. Uh, and was that for children or? Yeah, this was the government of Sikkim project I was heading. Uh, this was in the year from 2016 to 2017. I worked with government of Sikkim. I was leading their program, Sati. Sikkim, Sikkim against addiction towards healthy India, Sati. This specifically was Sikkim is a high problem of uh, drug abuse and illicit trafficking, especially among school age children. So, yeah, I mean, lot of drug abuse cases where children as young as six years and seven years were popping like morphine pills. Oh my god. And yeah, and the problem is um yeah, I mean there is a, there's a lot of work to be done on that um yeah, it's 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 in it's in shambles the whole <laughs> drug anti drugs act. So, I worked with the government and we uh, developed the program in six pillars. It was uh we trained the kids, we worked with teachers, we did principal training, we did community outreach events we raised a lot of awareness within communities so this was a four year project funded by um titan industries 
and UNODC and there were other players as well. So yeah, I mean drug abuse and illicit trafficking is quite high in Sikkim. I think it's it's second after Punjab. So the government was really keen to kind of do something which kind of helps the kids. So I worked with them for a year just to shape the whole program, give it some some form of like you know self-sustainable way of functioning. It's still running. Uh, it's in its I think fifth year now. Yeah. I see. I, I, but uh, I mean, where do they get the money to get the pills from, or are they really cheap or something? So Sikkim shares borders with West Bengal, and there are some open borders. Uh, where it's easier to kind of peddle drugs. So there are drug peddlers who use children to kind of sell drugs. It's like if you sell this drug, you get this amount of drugs for free. Second, it's and this is the thing. I mean, in most of the social issues and uh, you know issues about uh, issues around discrimination, violence, and all of these, you cannot see things in isolation. Everything is connected. Like drug abuse happens because there are no public recreation spaces. or uh, it happens because there is low levels of employment there is low levels of satisfaction uh, happiness and in sikkim of course sikkim is a very nice malan state and uh, it's been i had a beautiful experience of being in that state but there are very less public spaces where you know kids can go and play and yeah i mean in general there are problems within the society uh, because of like yeah migration issues and laws in general and sikkim has a history of like uh, being annexed to india and all of that all of these are combined so i think somebody from caravan wrote about sikkim's drug case her name is sarita santoshini she wrote an article about she dug into like the whole issue of drug abuse she took in inputs from like existing drug users she did a story brilliant story around uncovering uh, the whole issue of drug abuse in sikkim it's on caravan and her name is sarita santoshini so she also spoke to me while she wrote that uh, piece so she kind of did a brilliant job of underlining what are the main problems within the state how is it grappling with the issue of drug abuse and trafficking okay it's interesting because i never heard um, i mean of course i've been outside india for a long time now but i don't think i ever heard of this uh, problem with sikkim in mainstream media at least mm, so so okay yeah the thing is mainstream media doesn't does not necessarily i mean yeah I mainstream mean, media in the mainstream india or so mainstream media does not report a lot of cases uh, from northeast india and unless it's like insurgency or a terrorist attack you would not find a lot of stories about cases from northeast india in like mainstream media this is the case i mean the rape cases that happens in mainstream india like kathua or hatras it gets a lot of media attention but a lot of cases of rape like brutal sexual rape or gang rape that happens in northeast india is not reported because you know northeast india has always been neglected by mainstream media unless and until it's an insurgency or a terrorist attack or communal violence so this has been a constant struggle of like people from northeast to get represented in mainstream indian media yeah yeah that at least i have heard uh, a little more about uh, yeah in mainstream media but yeah that's crazy sorry this is generally a question that people ask during the end but uh, in no specific order what do you think i can do as an individual to help hmm 
So yeah, as I think a lot of the time, this is a question we all need to ask ourselves: How can we help? First, is there something known as bystander? And uh, a lot of the times, bystanders play a very important role in terms of uh, like speaking up. So when you, so this, I mean, also respecting the fact that whether the person needs help or not, in terms of even making sure that somebody in your house, maybe a girl who is very young, facing some form of sexual assault or you know sexual violence from anybody, creating a safe space for everyone and just being kind to everyone. and yeah that's that's all i mean we we all we all are accountable for our own actions and words and in general i feel you just need to be kind to everyone and that's it you can i mean every every individual can make change if you're just kind to everyone and just be accountable for your actions and words and sometimes we don't realize how words can be brutal and can hurt others and just making just kind of putting yourself just empathy empathy is the basic human uh, you know need you just need to empathize with people and everyone everyone is struggling everyone is everyone has their own battles and just kind of being a support to people who you can and that's all you we can do as bystanders right yeah definitely yeah um yes as been there have been times when i have tried to you know get involved or help out but it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily work out very well because a lot of times the the lady comes back to me and blames me or says stuff like i'm lying you know yeah. and to this has happened to me this has happened to me so many times so i'll tell you what one case before i close there was this case where um, there was this girl young girl who was stabbed by her jilted lover and uh, she uh she got 110 stitches in her body she was hospitalized and uh i yeah i mean i reached out i reached out uh, to the dc and helped her out but then later uh her family kind of started blaming me uh for being there for her in a way <laughs> so i kind of so these are the things i mean this is uh, this also come from my experience years of being on the ground and doing activist work there is a case you should ma- you must read it this was like my flagship activism work where i received a lot of rape threats and death threats from people if you just go google nrhm and megha kashyap is an entire story i'll not take a lot of time sharing it but this has happened where i we tried to help a woman and uh, it kind of yeah i mean it got very politically involved and stuff like that and then we had to go to the court saying that we don't have any personal interest we just trying to have state uh, kind of share the state of healthcare in the state so yeah i mean that's you also learn from experiences when to step back so i have my own personal boundaries and i can only help someone to an extent and only if the person wants to help himself or herself i'll definitely be there for a support but i would not overstep my own boundaries and this is the thing i mean i don't let anything affect my inner harmony It is as brutal and as blunt as it is. So yeah, I mean, just being in your own boundaries, helping people, being kind, and empathizing—that's all we want. And also making sure that you know everyone has their own battles, and just being kind to each other and supporting each other in whatever way we can. And for say someone like me who's who's not uh, directly into the field, are there any? NGOs or is there any special work that I could get into? Just reading, just being kind of on top of like things, like on top of news, what's happening, 
on issues of gender and just just educating ourselves in terms of what is it that's happening in the country and how can we make noise about it so lot of the times i tell this to my friends who are not from the sector or not from the charity space or the right space that you know the moment you hear things like this uh make some noise take it to your social media even 10 people watching it will know what's happening so that's how you create a chain reaction and that's how you build momentum with the whole feminist movement and it's very important for everyone of us to kind of be connected to issues otherwise in the very fact that you can say that you are unaware is a privilege is a political privilege because that's yeah. what that's what like perpetrators or abusers want you to do so that you're detached to the issue so just aware just being aware about things that's happening just reading up and being connected to issues that i think that's very important for each one of us i mean i think that's the simplest thing we can do but even then yeah. i've had people come up to me and be like can you stop posting news on your story it's so boring <laughs> and it's kind of putting me down that's what happened why you posting it on instagram <laughs> you should post stories as memes that's what connects i mean i do it all the time <laughs> I feel like we, we as a generation, tend to look at news clippings through our Instagram more than yeah, more than you know our apps that are fed our newspapers. Yeah, true. Um, I have one more question, which is maybe a little um, a weird question, you can say, but a lot oh, of times um, there is this conflict I have in my mind, and I think I've also spoken about it with other people. um mm-hmm. what do you uh, i don't even know how to frame this it's really weird uh would you say that india as a country i mean me being a person living an indian living outside the country mm-hmm. should i be devoting all my resources to helping the people of india i mean would it would you say I don't even know how to put this. Um how would you compare the struggles of people over here or say the number of abuse cases in the UK mm-hmm. as compared to India? Okay, this uh this is going to take a lot of time if I have to go into the politics of uh colonized and colonial identities. So I'm not going to go into it. I could kind of have like one hour chat over this <laughs> but in general i feel it's it comes down to like the individual like um yeah i mean we also need to understand that most of the global south countries were former colonies of like uk france spain a lot of yeah us and, and a lot of the a lot of the struggles that we have going up in global south is it has connected has colonial continuities like for example the whole idea of marriage or the whole idea of monogamous marriage was a colonial construct and this whole idea of sanctity around marriage and procreation within marriage is a very colonial construct so so issues of violence within marriage like marital rape and all of that can be connected to all of this so yeah it's it comes down to the individual how you want to distribute your resources but for me uh, how i do it is that if there's an extreme case of like i know that there's extreme case of domestic violence happening somebody needs help i wouldn't i mean i would not look at like the race or whoever that person is the person needs help the person needs help that's it 
but uh, yeah in terms of uh, contributing and money wise financially i usually uh, donate to a lot of charities in kobal south mostly to indian charities working on issues of gender i've been doing it since i started earning money in the ngo sector so yeah i make it a point i also realize that uh, who i am today is uh, is because of my privileges and my oppression and uh, whoever i am today i'm just giving it back to the society i've come from and if we don't give back to the society no one else will so it's just kind of yeah it's i don't know if you guys have read polo coelho alchemist um he yeah. talks about how when you want yeah. something desperately the universe conspires to make it happen for you so this <laughs> is also something which i hold very close to my heart so i know the universe is trying to bring things for me so some as somebody who has kind of experienced this privilege it's all, it's i'm accountable and i'm responsible for giving it back to the society i come from so this is my way of kind of giving it back i'm not there physically to help the person but if i can donate financially i will definitely do it i see yeah that's uh, that's beautiful well um thank you so much do you have anything you would like to add Thank you so much. This was a really nice conversation. I really enjoyed coming to your show. I'm so sorry. I've been postponing this talk for like oh, last no, two months, but I'm really, this is really so nice. I finally made it happen. And yes. yeah, good luck with your <laughs> podcast. And yeah, that's all. Thank you so oh, much. I'm so sorry. And we would we would love to have you back again at some point. Sure, definitely available. Um, yeah, definitely. But uh, the effects of colonization, if you if you wish to, at some. Oh my God! I get a verbal diarrhea talking about decolonization. So you guys have to watch out. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, once your PhD is done, maybe you could come back and talk to us about your topic. Great, <laughs> done. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much again, Megha, for taking our time and uh, also for all the valuable inputs you give. to the world uh thank you thank you so much for having me in thank your show thank you bye good night okay good night, night.